0: It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing is able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. Before we begin our study of God's word this morning, let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask his guidance on our study this morning. Father, we're thankful that you have given us your word. This is not the word of human beings about their religious experiences. It is the uh, word that you have revealed through them to us, overseeing the process so that that which was recorded for us was without error and that you also oversaw the transmission and preservation of the text through the centuries, through the ages, so that what we have is that which you have intended for us to have, that we might learn to think as you would have us to think, and that we might accurately understand who you are, who we are, and what you have provided for us. Father, now as we study your word, continue our study in Colossians, we pray that you would continue to impress upon us the importance of the knowledge of your word and how it is to impact our thinking and the way we live. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3, verse 16. Last time as we got into this verse, we were focusing on the initial command in the verse, that we are to let the word of Christ richly dwell within us. As we do this, there are certain things that will result from that. And as we look at the verse, we see that one of these results is the teaching and admonishing one another in hymns and in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That is where we will... uh, complete the study this morning beginning to get into that but there's still a few things i want to cover from from uh, from last time how is it that we are to let the word of christ dwell within us first of all i pointed out last time that the word here in the greek new testament was written in greek and therefore it's important to look at the nuances of the original language The word there, okeo has to do with living somewhere, dwelling somewhere, taking up, making making your home somewhere. And we know that when we move into some place, wherever you've lived and you make yourself at home there, uh, you're you're very comfortable there. You stamp your uh, domicile with uh, your personality. You paint the walls a certain color. You put certain kinds of furniture in. You have certain types of rugs or carpets or hardwood or whatever it is, but that is a reflection and manifestation of who you are so that when people come into your house, um, they look at it and they, they see you, your personality there. So when the Word of God richly dwells or takes up its habitation in our life, it puts its stamp upon our life. When we are letting the word richly dwell within us, it becomes obvious and apparent that it is at home in our life and produces that that quality. So the word of Christ is to dwell within us. And I raised the question last time of, of just exactly what it was that the word of God or the word of the Lord uh, described. And I pointed out that this is the, the scripture. It's the 66 books we have in our in our Bible, the uh, 39 books of the Old Testament and the 27 books of the New Testament. And we've studied in the past, and those studies are up on the Internet, on the origin and the uh, transmission of the Scripture and why it is that we can trust it. But we see from the Scripture that there is a value placed upon uh, the knowledge of the Word. And One of the passages I went to last time to uh, focus on this was in Psalm 19, which is a meditation upon the Scripture. I pointed out that there are various ways in which the Scripture are described by different phrases, the law of the Lord, the statutes of the Lord, uh, the fear of the Lord, the judgment of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord. And in conclusion, the Psalmist says, More to be desired are they than gold. This is down in verse 10. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Now, you can't get enough money, you can't get enough food, you can't get enough of what you long for in life. Everything is of less value than the knowledge of God's word. Because, as the psalmist concludes in verse 11 by them we are warned we learn wisdom so that we do not get caught up in the traps of this life where we make bad decisions and a the another result is by keeping them by walking in obedience to the word then we will experience great reward not necessarily financial reward but the benefits and the blessings that come from walking in walking consistent with the way God created Everything in life, rather than trying to create our own reality, we're walking in the reality that God created, and therefore, as a result, we will experience uh, blessing, uh, and uh, and God will, and that blessing comes from the application of His Word. Now, Hebrews four twelve is another passage from the New Testament that talks about the Word of God that the Word of God, referring to the Scripture, is living and powerful. It's it's not just the words of some old dead writers who lived thousands of years ago, but that this springs from the very mind of God, and therefore it is, like God is, eternal. It is the eternal thinking of God. And so it is just as alive and real and true today as it was when it was written 2,000, 3,000, 4,000 years ago. It is powerful. That Its power derives from the fact that it is truth. It is the thinking of God himself as he has revealed himself uh, to us. It is not the relativistic opinion of creatures, but it is the absolute truth of eternal God. It is sharper, then described as being sharper than any two-edged sword. And this speaks of the short sword of the uh, Roman soldier, the Machaira. And it is, which was used for close-in combat and was kept razor sharp. And so the metaphor here, the, the comparison here is that it's sharper than a physical sword because a physical sword can merely separate a head from the torso or a limb from the body. But this is a sword, metaphorically speaking, that pierces to the very inward parts of our being, our person, who we are. It distinguishes between the soul and the spirit. And in many cases, these terms are used synonymously, but this verse emphasizes that there's a distinction. The soul is the makeup of the immaterial part of us, our, our mentality, our emotions, Uh, excuse me, our mentality, our our will, uh, our conscience, our volition. This is the immaterial part of man. And the spirit is that element uh, in our nature that energizes the soul so that it can have a relationship with God. When Adam and Eve were initially created, they were created with body, soul, and spirit. They were spiritually alive. But God put, placed them in the Garden of Eden and said, If you eat from the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you will die. Now, they didn't die physically for 900 years, but they died spiritually, which means that that immaterial part of their makeup, which is described in this passage as the spirit, that immaterial element that enabled their soul, their mentality, their conscience, their volition to have a relationship with God, to understand divine truth, uh, to walk with God. That element that energized the soul is what is referred to as the spirit. And that is what died, became non-functional. The word death often in scripture doesn't mean to lose existence. It means to be separated from something or to become non-functional. And so the human spirit became non-functional in them. And the next day when God came to walk in the garden with them, instead of of, uh, running to greet him as they did every day, they ran and hid from him. Something had happened when they disobeyed God that broke that relationship with God and destroyed it and that had to be uh, repaired, that had to be fixed, that had to be regenerated. That which was dead had to be made alive again. This is the essence of why we talk about and why Jesus talked about being born again, because we are all born dead, as the Apostle Paul says, in our trespasses and sins. We're born spiritually dead but physically alive. And it is only when we trust in Jesus as Savior that God then regenerates us and makes us alive spiritually so that from that point on we have the potential of a relationship with God and can walk with him. So it's the word of God that has the ability to distinguish these elements of our immaterial nature, dividing the soul and the spirit, uh, separating the joints and the marrow, which is often used in a mer- metaphorical sense in uh, Greek languages and in the Scripture to talk about different elements of the inward parts of the of the soul, the makeup of man, and is a discerner, that is, it exposes our internal thoughts and our motivations, the intents of the heart. And so the word of God is viewed here as that which has real power to, and that power derives from its truth, and the truth comes because it is, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 2.16, the mind of Christ. So if the Bible is what it claims to be, then nothing in life is more significant for us than to know the Bible. That doesn't mean that nothing else in life is significant, but this is that which gives meaning and definition to everything else in our life. The command in Colossians 3.16 6, is to let the word of Christ dwell richly in our lives. So I then looked at the issue of, or do we have examples of this in Scripture? And we looked at how God instructed the Israelites before they went into the uh, went into the land that God had promised them, and how they should internalize the Word of God. This is seen in the passage in Isaiah 6, 4, and 5, uh, and following, especially in 6, 7, and 8, that the, the words that God had revealed to them should be in their heart. They should teach them diligently, which literally meant they should talk about them consistently. It's not a word for teaching. It's the Hebrew word for talking, discussion. This should constantly be part of their discussion. You should talk about them consistently with your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up. Notice the progression there. Sit, walk, lie, rise. What's left out? Nothing. Throughout the whole course of our life, we should constantly be enriched by the Word of God so that it is always flavors and is a part of our converse, conversation. Uh, goes on The passage goes on to say, You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and be a frontlet between your eyes. The point there isn't that this is something physical that you put on your hands or between your eyes, but that the hands represent what we do. And the forehead represents the location of our thinking and that what we do and what we think should be totally shaped and informed uh, by the word of God. It should uh, uh, impact everything in our life. Uh, And this is manifest in verse 9, writing them on the doorposts of your house. This becomes the standard for your house. I concluded last time with a sixth point of application that what you need to do in order to make this, uh, come alive in your life is to read your Bible. It means you need to make a plan. You should read your Bible daily. You should make a plan. Sometimes we can't keep that plan. Things happen. Things, uh, interrupt us. Pick a time though when you can make that con- as consistent as possible and keep to that every single day. Take notes. Have a journal have a diary, a notebook, whatever you want to call it. Write down your notes, observations, questions, underline verses, make observations, all of those things as you read through. Get a Bible dictionary, good Bible dictionary, encyclopedia, or handbook. I usually recommend Unger's New Bible Handbook and Unger's New Bible Encyclopedia, but there are some others that are just as good. They have maps, illustrations, a lot of charts, summaries. Those are very helpful to have as you read through your Bible. uh, Take notes in class. Take notes uh, and review your notes at home. Uh, Make it a plan to increase your attendance at Bible class on Tuesday and Thursday. This is what's fundamental, is to be there, to be uh, constantly exposed to the Word of God, to be reminded of God's grace, of His faithfulness, and of His provision. If the Word of God is going to take up its residence in us and make itself at home in our life, then it needs to dominate everything else. It needs to be more of a part of your life than anything else. Fifth, challenge yourself to memorize Scripture and to make this a part of your thinking and to set a goal in the next six months, five months, before the end of the year, to memorize ten Bible verses. You could focus on any number of Bible verses. And I want to give you some suggestions today on how to do that. First of all, when you look at a verse that you want to memorize, you should read it. Read it in context. Read the chapter. Read the verses around. See how that verse fits within the flow of thought of the paragraph and the subsection of the book that you're, where you're reading. So diligently read the context before and after so that the verse makes sense within its overall uh, context secondly review your verses write them out on a on a three by five card so that you can review them and review them daily and weekly so that they uh, come back to your mind several years ago i made it a point to uh, memorize uh, matthew 2 luke 2 the whole sections dealing with the uh, birth of our lord at the time at, at, so that i would have those completely memorized for times around christmas and every year it seems like i'm having to memorize those things anew the younger you are the easier it is to do this just because you're uh, a little more um, seasoned doesn't mean you can't do it it just i find we have to focus a little more while we're while we're doing this but it's a great mind exercise maybe it'll postpone alzheimer's another year or two Third memorize the verse by using a certain formula if it 's a if it 's a book de- if it 's a verse dealing with salvation, cite the topic. This is an old navigator 's technique with their topical memory system. I found it very helpful if it 's dealing with uh, salvation if it 's dealing with the essence of god if it 's dealing with prayer if it 's dealing with giving if it 's dealing with um, uh, Jesus or any, whatever the doctrine is, have that as a topic in one word or two words and state the topic first, for example, salvation. And then cite the scripture reference. How many times, don't show your hands, how many times you say, oh, I know it's somewhere in the Bible, but I don't know where it is. That's like saying I know where I live, but I don't know my address. That scripture reference is the address. So you say something like salvation. John 3.16. That's the address. That's where you find the verse. John chapter 3 verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And then you close it out by restating the uh, address of the verse. John 3.16. And you say that over and over again. It locks in the location of the verse and the very words of of the verse. Fourth, memorize the verse word for word perfectly. Don't uh, just stumble. You don't have it. You can do it. I can do it. Uh, And I suggest you use a New King James Version or King James simply because it's a little easier because of the way it's translated. But use whatever version you find comfortable. And then as you do this and as you rehearse it in your mind, think about the meaning of the words and the phrases and what that verse is communicating and what it is saying. Maybe pick up your English dictionary to look the words up. But by thinking it through like that, thinking about the relationship of the phrases and clauses within the the sentence, it helps you to understand what it is that you are memorizing, and it becomes a little more real and significant for you in your thinking. This is all part of what the Bible refers to as meditation. Meditation is a very important concept in the Scripture. Now, the meditation that is emphasized in the Bible is very different from the meditation that you find as a technique of psychology or as a technique in the Eastern... Uh, Uh, Eastern religions. Uh, In Eastern religions, specifically, the idea of meditation is to empty your mind of thought. In the Bible, in Christianity, meditation is filling your mind with what God has revealed. It is a focus on biblical content. It is to think about what God has said and what he has revealed. For example... Moses instructs Joshua when Moses was going to leave, he was going to go up onto Mount Nebo and die, uh, and he's transferring leadership to Joshua. He said, this book of the law, referring to the, the covenant God had made with Israel, this book of the law, which is part of Scripture, the Torah, first five books of the Bible, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate... In it day and night. Now, what part, uh, what part of, our, of the clock doesn't fit within day and night? I haven't found one yet. Okay, so that's all the time. Uh, you shall meditate on it day and night that you may observe to do according to all that is written in it. Notice the order there. First, you meditate on it, you think about it. The Hebrew word there for meditate is the word hagah, which means to, uh, in some places, to utter, to mutter, to moan, to meditate, to, vice, to, to devise, or to plot. It has a wide range of meaning. It has the idea of thinking through something, the idea of devising a plan, putting together a plan or plotting something brings together something you will give intense thought to as you are planning something. Uh, for example, if you were planning a vacation, many of us have done that this summer. You've had a vacation, whether a few days or many days, whether going to Israel or whatever it might be. Uh, it took a lot of thinking and a lot of planning. And that is the idea here, is giving it detailed thought, uh, concentration. Think about it day and night. First you think about it, then you put it into practice. You observe to do. You apply it. Uh, according to all that is written in it you do everything it is a, a complete application and what's the result then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success now this is not talking about simply material prosperity or business success this is talking about success in life success in our relationship with god accomplishing that which god intends for us now there's another word for meditate that is used, and in the Psalms it's used at times as a parallel to uh, the word used in Joshua 1.8. It's the word siach, and it has the idea of talking. Sometimes it means to muse, to reflect. Sometimes it has the idea of complaining. But it is what happens when you complain. We all know complainers, they just talk about the same thing negatively all the time, and it just goes over and over again. That's the idea is repeating something over and over again. It's talking about it. It's not just when you're memorizing Scripture. It's not just uh, putting it into your mind and rehearsing it into your mind. It's saying it out loud uh while uh, i do this uh sometimes when i'm walking and i will walk and as i walk uh just like uh when i was in band in high school or later on uh military you know you get a a, a certain rhythm going with your pace and memorize according to that rhythm and that pace and that's a good way to uh to do that you talk according to that uh that rhythm of your walk A couple of other passages in the Old Testament that talk about meditation, Uh, Psalm 77, 12, I will also meditate, the psalmist says, on all your work and talk of your deeds. Notice the movement here. It's from thinking about your work. And where do you learn about God's work? By studying his word. You spend your time thinking about his work, and then you talk about it. It is a natural progression from study and thought to application. Psalm 105.2 says, Sing to him, sing psalms to him. Notice the command there. I want to make this connection between this verse and what we study in the second half of of Colossians 3.16. Too often in too many churches today, people have lost a sense of why we sing or they have the wrong idea of why we sing. We live in an entertainment, music-oriented culture, and music is related to entertainment. But that's not what we do with music when we come into the church. The purpose for music in Christianity from the uh, Old Testament to the New Testament was never on entertainment. That's not its function. Yet, Yet that's how all of us have been brainwashed by our culture to think about music. Music is a way in which we express our, our our joy and our response and what is going on in our soul in response to who and what God is. It is a vital and significant part of the spiritual life. And yet today we have too many Christians who don't understand that. They think that the hymns are just something we've done traditionally or what we sing. We tack that on. But the real thing is is on the teaching of the word. But both, as we'll see, both Colossians three sixteen and Ephesians five nineteen and following basically are saying, be filled by means of the Spirit, and the res- the first result is singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. That's Ephesians five nineteen. Colossians three fifteen is a parallel. Pa- three sixteen is the parallel passage. Let the word of Christ richly dwell within you, and the result is what that you will teach and admonish one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. This isn't optional. It's not secondary. It is vital. If you're letting the word of Christ richly dwell within you or within the congregation, if you're filled by means of the Spirit, then singing is a vital, central, core, significant element that is the result of that. I have heard some Christians say, well, I don't really like to sing. Get over it. Let the word of Christ change your stupid thinking, because that's what that is. It's stupid, shallow, trivial, cliche thinking. I've got to be hard on that. We have too many people today who think just terribly about the role of music in the church in a lot of different ways. They have too much of it and it's entertainment, or they don't think it should be there. That's not what the Bible says. Go to the Old Testament, go to the New Testament. This is central. It is a priority. It is vital. It is a sign of spiritual health without it, and poor singing by a congregation is a sign of spiritual weakness. Think about it. This is what uh, not my opinion. this is what God says, okay. Sing to him, sing psalms to him, talk of his wondrous works. That word for talk is the same word for meditate. Meditate on his wondrous works. There's a connection there between the hymns and the content of the hymns and meditation. Psalm 119, which is the longest chapter in all of the Bible, the longest of the psalms, and interestingly enough, the longest book in the Bible is the hymn book. It's the psalms. Psalm 119.15, I will meditate on your precepts and contemplate your ways. Notice the parallelism there, uh, the synonymous parallelism between meditate and contemplate. Uh, Psalm 119.23, princes... Also sit and speak against me, but your servant... See, there's the contrast between the believer who is obedient and those who are antagonistic to the word, but your servant meditates, thinks, rehearses, talks about your statutes. Psalm 119.27, the psalmist prays, make me understand the way of your precepts, the result... So shall I meditate on your wonderful works? Meditation, thinking about it, talking about it, rehearsing it is a result of understanding it. Psalm one hundred nineteen forty-eight. My hands also, I will lift up to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate upon your statutes. Let the proud be ashamed, for they would. Uh, Psalm one hundred nineteen seventy-eight. Let the proud be ashamed, for they treat me, treated me wrong, wrongfully with falsehood. But I will meditate on your, pre- on your precepts. So. The contrast is that when we're under assault, what do we do? We think about the Word of God. We think about the content of Scripture. It's in Psalm one hundred and um, uh, Psalm one hundred sixteen that the, or uh, excuse me, Psalm one hundred nineteen that the psalmist says, "Thy Word have I hid in my heart, that I might not sin against Thee." It is that whole concept of, of, of uh, memorization that makes it a part of us. So the Word of Christ can dwell uh, richly within us. So when we look at our passage in Colossians 3:15, the starting point, the command is to let the word of Christ uh richly dwell inhabit take up its residence in your life. And then uh there is a uh, an issue related to punctuation. Remember in the in the Greek there's no uh punctuation we just have um, uh, we, we, you just have the words there's no commas there's no periods we, understanding the English uh, punctuation is put in by the translators to make it read better but they have to make certain decisions now the way the King James and I, th- I believe only one other translation uh, translates this is they put the phrase in all wisdom or with all wisdom with and uh, connected to let the word of christ dwell with all wisdom that's not the best place to put it that phrase really is a modifier of the subsequent participles teaching and admonishing it should be repunctuated this way the initial command to let the word of christ richly dwell within you and then with all wisdom teaching and admonishing one another. It is an application of the word which produces wisdom, and that application of wisdom is what lies behind the writing of hymns. We'll talk a lot about that in the next few weeks because this is so important. One of the reasons I think we need to talk about this is because we're unfamiliar with it. We sort of lost touch with why we do some of the things we do. I don't know how many of you have taken the time or been gone to visit somebody, maybe a relative or whatever, and you've gone to another church, maybe a denominational church, maybe a church that has a liturgy on um, in their service that you're unfamiliar with, and you have sat there, and I've had this experience many times. Uh, especially if I go to a funeral at Episcopal Church or uh, some Presbyterian churches, some Roman Catholic churches, and they go through a liturgy and you go, why do they do this? Where did did this come from? That's not a question, why do they do this as a critical comment, but seeking explanation, understanding of why are we doing what we are doing in the order that we are doing it. Uh, This didn't just happen, it's not just there because of tradition, because I'm a student enough of uh, church history to know that it wasn't always done that way in any denomination, but why have they chosen to do it this way? Why does their group do it the way they do it? And why do we sing the hymns we sing? Why do we choose to do things the way we do things here at West Houston Bible Church? And that is all the result of an application of the Word of God and that is part of wisdom. So we understand that there is a priority to letting the word of Christ inhabit our souls, our thinking, and then the first result that's mentioned is that with wisdom or in the sphere of wisdom, uh, with wisdom, we, it results in teaching and admonishing. Now these two verbs, uh, and here they're in a participial form, which means they indicate result, Uh, express what should follow from letting the Word of Christ richly dwell within us. First of all, it involves teaching. First thing we should note, whenever we're going to sing anything, whether it's a hymn, a chorus, whatever it is, does this teach us anything about the Word? What is the teaching in the verse, and is the teaching accurate? It's not simply the sort of endless repetition of a phrase or two of scripture. Uh, sadly, we see too much of this today. But recently, uh, Jim Myers was down in um, uh, uh, Zambia, uh, going to a pl- area where he's gone many times before. And uh, they had a Bible conference, and many people were there. And Jim has noted this several times, What the sad thing is that Uh, The U.S. Church has exported all of its heresy and bad practices and very little of its truth. And so they sang a lot of mindless choruses all week, and they really didn't say much. And so Jim asked just to have something of substance. Let's close the conference at the end, and let's sing Amazing Grace. And everybody there would know Amazing Grace and the words to Amazing Grace. And so when he finished... And they closed in prayer, and the song leader came up. He had them all stand and said, We all know the tune to Amazing Grace, but let just sing the words Alleluia. So they just sang Alleluia, 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 to the tune of Amazing Grace. Now, that's meaningless. Alleluia is a great word, but it's a Hebrew word, and it means to praise the Lord. And it is not to be sung to praise the Lord. It is a command to praise the Lord. And if you study the Psalms, what follows the command to praise the Lord is a rehearsal or description or declaration of what God has done that is worthy of praise. That's the content. When, when all you say is praise the Lord, that doesn't fit the criterion of either teaching or admonishing anyone. Because it doesn't go anywhere. It is very, uh, uh, it's, it's trivial and it is uh, insipid. So, we're to teach and admonish. The word for admonish is the word nutheteo, building off the Greek noun nous for mind. It's addressed to the mind to challenge the mind to a course of action. So, it's addressed to challenge the will to a course of action. So, the purpose for him is to instruct and to challenge people to a course of action. Note, it's not to make us feel good. It's not to uplift us. Those are secondary. are secondary, they but they're not the criterion. The criterion, does this teach the Word of God and does it challenge us to obedience uh, to the Word? You see the same emphasis in Ephesians 5.18, at the last phrase of Ephesians 5.18, be filled by means of the Spirit speaking to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. Incidentally, you'll find a lot of different explanations of psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Um, The Septuagint uses all three of these phrases to refer to the psalms of Scripture of the Old Testament. Some people will say, well, the psalms refer to the psalms of the Bible, hymns refer to hymns that have been written in the course of the the, uh, church, and spiritual songs are to songs with spiritual content. That's not how the words were used in the Old Testament. All three of these terms were used as synonyms to refer to the book of the Psalms. Now, there are some older denominations that's all they will sing is the Psalms, but that's limiting because the Psalms don't speak of New Testament truth. So we add to that uh, meditations on scripture, and I'll talk more about that, but this relates us to this whole concept that we are, that singing Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs is a priority. It is part of your spiritual life. It is a sign that you are filled with the Spirit and walking by the Spirit. And um, and that needs to challenge us. And we should sing and sing well because we're singing to God and sing robustly. The music should help us to do that. In fact, as we close now, I want to talk a second about the hymn that we have as the closing hymn, number 478. Soldiers of Christ arise. This is a great example of, of hymnody. It's written by Charles Wesley. For those of you who don't know, Charles and his brother John, John especially was the, were the uh, founders, leaders of a movement within Anglicanism in the 1700s that became known as Methodism. And they uh, wrote hymns, great hymns, great words and music. And uh, John uh, especially had them uh, publish several different hymnals. But I want you to notice the words, and the words should always drive this. And one of the things we'll observe as we talk about hymns and what we sing is the words are what should create any emotional response in us. And having an emotional response is not wrong. It can be, but in and of itself it's not. Music is always designed to impact our... Um, uh, our affections. So so listen, just listen to the words. Soldiers of Christ arise and put your armor on. See, that's teaching, it's admonition. Strong in the strength which God supplies. Where does he get this terminology? Remember what we wrote it read in for our scripture reading in Ephesians 6? Just a great meditation. In fact the original title for this was uh uh, putting on the whole armor of Ephesians 6. Strong in the strength which God supplies through His eternal Son, strong in the Lord of hosts and in His mighty power, who in the strength of Jesus trusts, is more than conquerors. You know, when you think about those words, we ought to be responding emotionally to those words those are great words that elevate our souls stand then in his great might with all his strength endued but take to arm you for the fight the panoply of god leave no unguarded place no weakness of the soul take every virtue every grace and fortify the whole to keep your armor bright Attend with constant care, still walking in your captain's sight and watching unto prayer. From strength to strength go on, wrestle and fight and pray. Tread all the powers of darkness down and win the well-fought day. This is a tremendous hymn. And and when you put it with the music, the music that it is sung to is music that is robust and And should and these these some not this hymn but some of the ones we sang earlier are put to some Welsh tunes and they're designed to be sung fervently by uh, by by the congregation and that by singing loudly, singing strongly, singing robustly reinforces the message that's in the hymns. But it's the message that is driving everything within the hymn. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed, Father, we thank you for the time we've had today to reflect upon your word, its priority, its significance in our lives. Challenge us to let your word richly dwell within us, to make the plans, take the steps, change our schedule so that we can put within our our time, time to read, time to memorize, time to reflect upon your word. Challenge us with the importance of being uh, in church, in Bible class, studying the Word so that your Word reshapes our thinking, Romans 12:2 that we are to be transformed by the renewing of our mind, and that comes by studying the Word. And challenge us with what your Word teaches us in terms of the application, the response in what we sing and how we sing, that this is a reflection of our spiritual health father we pray for those who are here this morning that may not be saved that may be wondering about their eternal destiny may not be sure or certain of what will happen when they die scripture is clear that there is only one way jesus said i am the way the truth and the life no man comes to the father except by me he is the only way he died on the cross for our sins he paid the penalty something we cannot do we can't add to it By adding to it, we can only subtract from it because it is faith alone in Christ alone. It's not based on religion. It's not based on works. It's not based on morality. It's based on only one thing, and that is trusting that Jesus did it all. Father, we pray that if anyone here is unsure of their salvation, that they would take this moment, this instant, to put their faith and trust in Christ alone knowing that at that instant they have eternal salvation that can never be taken from them. Father, we pray that you would challenge us with what we've studied this morning. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.